We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hi, Datables. Welcome to another episode of the Datable Podcast, where we dig, dig, dig (laughs) deep into the dating culture here. And as part of the digging process, we do a lot of learning along the way. And this is why we love doing this podcast, because Julie and I have just learned so much in the last almost seven years. I feel like I'm a different person from when I started this podcast. You are. And I think you're you're a different person also. A thousand percent. Like, I think just even looking back to the gender roles conversation from six years oh my ago. God. Six years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of cringy, but also I just have to like, you know, accept that that was part of my growth. Oh, my God. For anyone that doesn't know, UA was so traditional, such a stickler Super. for never making the first move. And yeah. just waiting. I feel like you just did a lot of waiting. Oh, and, yeah. 
And actually, in one of our recent episodes with Katie Storino, this was the episode that we did about like taming your inner critic and confidence while dating. And she said something that stuck with me that maybe she didn't make the first moves because she didn't want to put herself out there. It felt like they, she would just get rejected. Mm. So it's almost like we shield ourselves with these rules to not actually be vulnerable and put ourselves out there. I also have to say, you know, when I was a dating coach, I had all male clients and they would tell me the same thing. They mm. would say, I I would love it if a woman hit on me, but I wouldn't be want to be in a relationship with her because she would seem too easy for me to get. So I think these are like, we're just perpetuating a, a lot of these stereotypes and tropes in modern dating that I'm glad that we're breaking the barriers. But for so long, I think men and women were playing into these roles and actually believing that this is what was happening. Yeah, well, it's a sign of the times also. And yeah. <laughs> another sign of the times is the episode we're doing today, because I am so glad that we're finally doing another look at dating as an Asian woman right mm -hmm. now, because clearly a lot has changed in the last two years with COVID and, you know, a lot of blame being placed on even Asian Americans because of COVID, resulting in AAPI hate crimes. And a lot has changed with um, just how we look at race from the whole pandemic and aftermath. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we're opening this conversation again. In the last two years, so our guest is from the Asian Boss Girl podcast, ABG, and her name is Janet. But in the last two years, their podcast, she does this podcast with two other women, Asian women, uh, Melody and Helen. So their podcast really blew up during this time because it became so relevant. Not that it wasn't relevant before, but, but I think more people were seeking this sort of content. And I love that on their podcast, they talk about all facets of their lives as related to their cultural backgrounds. And, you know, one of the co-hosts, Helen, just had a baby. She's married with a baby. And then Melody and Janet, who we have on our show, they're both single and trying to navigate this whole dating scene like all of us and there's the added layer of being Asian women. So I'm glad we're having this open conversation because I think even in the beginning of this, I was just saying like, I would love to know what's going on because I'm not in the dating scene anymore. And I want to know if things mm -hmm. have changed from the last time I was even, you know, swiping on the apps. Right. Because you've definitely had your experiences and we'll get into them in the episode, but you've shared a lot too. And I think it's really interesting, especially for me, who's clearly not Asian, but it's really good to, you know, continue to hear other people's perspectives, because I think this is something that is very prominent in my Asian communities of friends, and mm -hmm. very rarely comes up in my white groups. So I think it's just a testament that a lot of this stuff is siloed, unfortunately. And mm -hmm. I feel like even recently, I don't see it on the mainstream news, but like Mei Lee, who is one of our past guests, does a phenomenal job reporting on all the Asian hate crimes that are happening. But I'm always like, why is this not more prominent other places? Yeah. And that makes me think about the timing of this episode, because we are closing out API Heritage Month. And usually, I feel like every other year when we celebrate API Heritage, it's been about celebrations. It's like about accomplishments. And this year, I think people are really hoping to highlight some of the challenges and obstacles that the Asian community is going through. So I feel like the media is not comfortable with that. 
that because they wanted to stay safe in the whole like, let's mm-hmm. just celebrate all the Asian figures and just sweep everything else under the rug. But this year, I think the Asian community is like, fuck this. If you are not going to report it, we're going to report everything that's going on. It's interesting. I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked about the recall of Chessa Boudin, which mm-hmm. I just want to make a point that. I am now extremely self-conscious about saying things incorrectly. And I went on Google and listened to Google Voice <laughs> of how to pronounce his name. And it misled me. I always used to say Chessa Boudin. And it said Chessa Boudin. And then I listened to like some speech the other day. And I'm like, God damn it. Like I was led astray. So anyways, that's my little quick caveat here. I don't think it, I, I actually think it's pronounced like Boudin, you know, like Boudin. It's I feel like, like no between. one knows how to pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. So you're I'm not learning. alone. You're not the only one. <laughs> Google Google does not know how to pronounce it either, clearly. (laughs) uh, What I thought was interesting, though, there is that the largest racial demographics that are voting for the recall, for anyone out of San Francisco, this is the district attorney that is very soft on crime policies. And it, it has a recall because people feel unsafe in this environment. And the largest population of folks that are skewing towards voting yes on the recall are Asian Americans. Mm. And we actually got a lot of people that reached out saying thank you for addressing this on the podcast. Like We know this isn't a relationship topic, but it does impact our safety. And I would say like out of the people that reached out, a large portion was Asian American. Mm. So I think this is something that is front and center of just like every day, our daily lives are impacted because we don't feel safe in our communities. This isn't just SF. I mean, Asian mm-hmm. hate crimes are all over the country right now. Yeah, I think people when they think about Asian hate crimes, they think it's about like murders and shootings, which do exist. Yeah. But I think people fail to forget or maybe this is just not out in the open that Asians are always the target of petty crimes too, break ins, burglaries, because of this idea that all Asians have money and all Asians have value. So you break into their cars and break into their homes or you rob them on the street. So just don't forget that the petty crimes are also part of the Asian hate crimes. Yeah. And there's like associations with being weaker and not being able to like Mm. fight back, especially like for women. And I think that's why it can be really scary. I think all women face danger on like, you know, I think we all have heightened senses of danger. But I think it's really unfortunate that people feel like unsafe, elderly people, unsafe to leave their homes and take a walk like. It's horrible what's going on right now. Yes, yes. And I want to just quickly bring up the church shooting because I my heart is breaking for the family of the doctor who died trying to basically save the entire um community that he was with he he really went after the shooter and he was shot and he later died but I, I just I want to quickly touch upon this issue too because it's a it's a Chinese man shooting a Chinese community and you can call them Chinese or Taiwanese I know there's it's very polarizing end of the day they're Chinese or they're of Chinese descent and it's really sad that with all the Asian hate crimes going on we still have turmoil within our own community that we yeah can't somehow get over so it's like it's it's double whammy right it's like you we, we're getting it from the outside communities but we're also getting it internally and I hope that we can have more conversations with in our own communities about what's going on and how we can be more unified instead of freaking killing each other like it's just not not the way to progress yeah 
I'm glad you brought that up. And I think, yeah, like this episode too can serve as, you know, for our Asian community listeners, which we know there are a lot of, as, you know, feeling like I'm not alone in this, that other people are going through these same struggles. But I think also for anyone that's not in the Asian community, it's really important to listen, to be there for your friends, to be there for the people you date. Like you may be dating people that have these struggles that you're just totally unaware of. And I mean, like, like I found some of my like white friends like just don't understand it all. I think maybe I understand a little more because I'm a minority in itself as a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Like we've experienced hate as well. But I think a lot of people that I, I don't want to like, you know, stereotype too much, but a lot of people like just don't seem to like understand what's happening. So hopefully if you are on that boat, no shame. But the fact that you're here listening to an episode titled Dating as an Asian Woman, that's that's major props in itself. Yeah, props to you. <laughs> and we've all been both bullied somehow, right? Thinking back to high school, I just watched senior year on Netflix. Terrible movie, but also great movie. It just brought up so many feelings from high school of just being ostracized, being the outsider, being not cool enough or not good enough and not good looking enough. We've all been there, right? And so it's a, it's very similar to feel like you're the other and then people hating you for things that are completely out of your control, like how you look and the color of your skin. Speaking of being bullied, Uh-oh. <laughs> I feel like you and I were bullied last week. Oh, <laughs> a thousand percent. I'm still mad, but amused. <sighs> we try. Okay. the re- Everyone knows we talk about ratings and reviews all the time. This is the livelihood of podcasts. So yes. again, if you've left us five-star review, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It helps so much. If you've less- left us a four-star or a three-star and there's less than nice comments, while we don't love seeing those, sometimes they can be helpful or we can at least understand where they're Constructive coming feedback. from. Constructive feedback. Yes. Not ideal still because because it's the livelihood of our podcast and it's a free podcast. You could also just move on. But it's still better than what we received <laughs> the other day. Do you want to re- do the honors or do you want me to read it? You read it. You pulled it up, right? Okay. So we got this this review. UA texted me. It was like, did you see the latest review? Because we do get an email alert that comes alert. through with any new rankings yes. and reviews. It is titled, Two Losers. <laughs> Yeah, always a good star. One star. <laughs> one star. Just two losers one. who... <laughs> I don't think they can leave zero. <laughs> Just two losers who want women to be difficult, obnoxious, and unpleasant. Un is all capitalized. They also advocate for violence, all mm. capitalized, towards men. Hopefully these garbage bags do get arrested for assault. Arrested. Arrested. <laughs> I've never been called a garbage bag before. It's kind of fun. It's a first or a loser. (laughs) Yeah. Like outwardly called a loser. We did share this to Love of the Time of Corona, our Facebook community, seeing if people, you know, could help us out because this does, like we said, it does reflect on the podcast. Someone did say, like, hopefully your listenership would be smart enough to realize that this is not true. But, you know, new people coming in, they don't know because they've never listened before. Mm -hmm. We want to say thank you to everyone that kind of rallied to support us. Seeing the really nice reviews that came in, it it made me tear up. It was so nice to see them and just like how people, there were so many people that were like, look, I've been listening for years and honestly, I just like, I've been lazy and I haven't written a review. And this is like 
of Yelp culture. Usually you don't leave the review unless it's really bad for the right. most part. Like it's it's extra steps people have to take. And they're like, this is my extra step and I'm willing to take it because this freaking sucks that you guys had to face this. Y'all have our back. Thank you for having our back. And we feel like we have your back. So if we are portraying the content in any way that feels like we are telling women to be difficult, please let us know because we've tried really hard not to do that. The goal of our content is to help everyone be more open-minded when it comes to dating and to learn about what's out there and not to subscribe to specific behaviors. And we really hope this is not something we're trying to portray. And judging by the reviews that came in after, I don't think that we're doing that, but call us in if we are. I mean, yes, of course, if there is that, please call us in. I I feel like this was an anomaly. Like a lot of people commented, like, did this person even get the right podcast? Or, you know, this sounds like an incel movement. Like, I think there is a lot of that is we don't know who's behind the the review, too. We were able to see that this person left another review that was also along the same lines for a different podcast, but gave it five stars. I was like, what the fuck? It was like, basically, like, this podcast is like sexist and you know telling women that they should do all this stuff but then it was like five stars what <laughs> i'm like could we have at least got in the five star if we're gonna get this review oh they got confused <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what are the star ratings mean well uh, end of the day all we're trying to do is create good content And this is very intentional, what we're doing here. So I really hope that after this, we can move on from this comment. Thank you all for for hiding it and knocking (laughs) it down the list. But end of the day, again, this this is what gives us purpose with this podcast is to give you all great content and hopefully make dating better for all. Yeah, I think the theme of this plus this entire episode is let's continue to spread love, not hate, because hate is bad. Uh, it's so bad. I do want to spread some love to a very small, dateable LA gathering we had over the weekend. Oh, yes. Uh, so I can name all of them because there are four of us. We've got Brian and Tony and Kim. Thank you all for coming out. We had such a great dinner. We were welcoming Tony to LA. He just moved from New York and just a really fun conversation because it was the first time I had met most. I've met Brian in person before, but first time meeting Kim and Tony in person and Julie. He was really excited about me meeting them in person, especially Tony, because we've had him on our podcast. And she's like, yeah. oh, my God, tell me what he's like in person. And he's the same. He's the same cool, great guy that he is in person. Well, to- Tony and Brian are moderators of Love in the Time of Corona and hosts of The Sounding Board. So we've mm-hmm. known them for a long time. And Brian has also been a guest on the podcast. And Kim has been a member of The Sounding Board for quite some time, too. So it's really nice to meet the people that, you know, we engage with digitally so much yes yes it was so much cool well other announcements speaking of engaging digitally we are re-releasing our finding your person program yay this will be coming up we're not saying the date quite yet but make sure you get on the wait list because you'll be getting some freebie goodies by going on the wait list you'll be getting some you know videos that we've put out that kind of describe the method to our madness so make sure to get on the wait list at findingyourperson.com 
So you get all of these. And then you can also decide if this is the right program for you. This will be our third cohort. And we love seeing the results of this and just how people shift their whole mindsets. They start to see dating in a different way. And of Mm -hmm. course, with that comes better prospects and budding relationships. We've had people that come in that, you know, are deciding if they should end a relationship that they're currently in. We've had people that are at the start of a budding relationship and they want to get it off the ground in the right way. And then we also have people that, you know, have been on the apps and have been dating for quite some time and feel stuck and want a different approach. So regardless of where you're at, there's a good chance that this program would be a good fit for you. Of course, we'll let you decide that and you can do so by getting on the wait list and seeing those videos firsthand. So head on over to findingyourperson.com. This is where you can get on the wait list and get all the updates to come. Cool. And then last announcement, follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast. That's where we show the clips of these episodes. We share inspirational quotes. We had a really good one that went up the other day of don't let anyone rent space in your head unless they're a good tenant. So if you want to feel good inspiration, just go over to our Instagram. We're here to support you in all methods and all digital mediums. Okay, so before we get into the episode, let's hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mirad Skincare, a line of clinically proven, cruelty-free products that meet the meticulous standards for safety, efficacy, and care you expect from a doctor. One of my favorite products is the Invisiscar Resurfacing Treatment, which I've already seen some results from, from using it for just a few weeks. Founded by Dr. Howard Mirad, who is a board-certified dermatologist and trained pharmacist, recognized around the world as a visionary for his unmatched scientific innovations, Mirad has also launched a digital magazine and a podcast called Well Connected by Murad, connecting the dots between science and wellness. Find the digital magazine at wellconnected.murad.com and the podcast Well Connected by Murad wherever you listen to your podcast. And for dateable listeners only, go to murad.com and enter the code dateable for 20% off and free shipping for orders of $60 or more. Again, that's murad.com and enter the code dateable, D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 20% off and free shipping for $60 or more. Okay, let's hear it from Janet. We're talking about dating, no surprise there, but we're adding this layer of race. And I always think about this, Mm. dating is so complicated as is with all the bad dating behavior, the dating etiquette, and like what you do in modern dating. And then you add this extra layer of complexity of race. And it's very fascinating what has happened to dating in recent years. And, you know, Julie and I have been out of the dating scene. So I wanted to really understand what has been happening during COVID and now as we coming out of the pandemic, especially for Asian women. So that's why we have Janet with us today. She is the co-host of the podcast called Asian Boss Girls, a fantastic (laughs) podcast with three Asian women. They chat about everything from career, dating, family relationships, culture, identity, etc. She's 36 years old, currently lives in LA, originally from Mission Viejo. Hi, Janet. How are you? Hi, ladies. I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on our show. So I guess we should just get right into it. And I love that Julie is the one. I remember we had this conversation, Julie. You were like, I wonder what it's like dating as an Asian person now, right? Mm. Because with all the Asian hate with Mm -hmm. COVID, 
what has been happening? So before COVID, let's just rewind. What was your experience, Janet, dating as an Asian woman when race was kind of part of the conversation? Yeah. So I want to just preface this conversation as this is fully my experience Mm -hmm. and it may be very different from everyone else's. But I had been dating for most of my 20s and 30s very open uh, to any race. In terms of my actual experience prior to like the dating apps became the norm, uh, when I was growing up, my first boyfriend was Chinese American um, and I dated a couple of Chinese American guys, but I also dated an Indian American guy and I've also casually dated Caucasian guys Mm -hmm. and European as well. So I've usually been fairly open um, in my younger years when I was just kind of looking to create connections with people. However, as I got older, like into the last like five or so years, I've been dating with more intention. Mm -hmm. So that might be a little different for me as well because prior to COVID, um, during that period, I had just started kind of looking more seriously for a partner. So for me, when it came to thinking about race, I started to be more focused in my search because as a Chinese American woman, after a while of dating and seeing some of my friends, both Chinese American and different cultural backgrounds, get married I noticed that I was like, you know what, if I can find someone who shares my cultural understanding, Mm. that would be a really big plus. It's not like exclusive and it's not totally off if that person doesn't share my background, but I knew that that would be something great if I could find it. And I'm much more dependent on like, friend introductions because I I, th- I found that in the last couple of years, those were the most like fruitful matches that I had. So a lot of my search now, very honestly, I'm looking for like Asian American men, mm-hmm. but I'm also still open to like dating other races. It's just less, I haven't been on as many dates with mm-hmm. like non-Asian people, I guess, in the last couple of years. I love the word intention. And I think especially as, you know, we search for more of our life partner, intention seems to be the word. What does that mean to you in regards of sharing those cultural experiences together? Yeah. I mean, I think a huge one for me is my family. Like Mm. my parents, as much as they outwardly say, they're like, we support you being with anyone and whoever makes you happy, Um, especially now that I'm like a lot older, they're like, please just like anyone. (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter um but but also like within my family my sister has dated mostly um caucasian men and Mm. her very serious boyfriend of the last like seven years is is also caucasian he comes for family dinners and he's met all of our families so they're not like pushing that i have to look for someone who's chinese but i think the reality when i imagine my partner being able to come home with me on the weekends and communicate with my parents in a more Mm. fluid way that would be preferred and that'd be great. And also because in the last couple of years, my social life and my profession have become much more focused on the Asian American experience with you know, right. podcasts like Asian Boss Girl. So that means my social circle is also a lot of individuals who balance their cultural identity. And so if I'm going to bring someone into that lifestyle, it's helpful if they also have their own personal experience that can relate to. So that's kind of some of the thinking behind that. But once again, like I say, it's not it's not that I'm like Xing at anyone, you know, whatever, but it's just I think my life circumstance. I feel like there was a key turning point and that was Black Lives Matter for me. Mm. That was a moment where I really examined my own biases, but also mm. just my own views on race and culture and how much I had I had so much self-hatred and mm. I didn't realize that till yeah 
that movement had happened. And I'm curious to know, and I'm not sure if that was a turning point for you either, um, Janet, but before then, did you experience much discrimination when it came to dating? Yeah. So this, this question I find interesting because I have heard so many stories from Asian women who have been approached negatively on dating apps or in person. And I have a really hard time thinking myself to any direct experience like that. I don't know if it's maybe the way I present on a profile or whatever it is that they might look at me as more nerdy. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or, or whatever it might be. But I mean, I never had anyone call out directly because of race, but I will say sometimes when people try to connect on interests, like if their profile shows a lot of like martial arts, yeah, and then they they have a conversation with me around that. And I still try to figure out for myself, I think it's such a gray line between someone who's appreciating a culture and someone who is like um, looking at, at me and my culture as like, um, uh, like a fetish. As a fetish, yeah. yeah. So when you said they comment on martial arts, it's not because you have stuff about martial arts, it's just because they associate Asian Americans or Asian or or more like if on their profile they have like something of them I don't know like I can I can tell that they maybe practice martial arts and then when they and then when we connect and we have a conversation I'm kind of like if they start to direct the conversation around kind of interests like that then I'm kind of like what what is your interest in me um, <laughs> right you know? like they made an assumption so okay so fetishization have you seen you know sexual fetishization too at that's all? yeah that's a great question I personally have not. I have not. I can't think of like an actual direct experience where I've had that. But I have also heard stories from girlfriends where they did. And yeah, I think that can be a very, very gray line. Because it's so it's so strange that within like the bedroom and within like sexuality, it can be a place where almost like anything goes, right? Because the psychology right. of people being like what turns someone on and, and then if it's like considered fantasy and what's right and what's wrong. I don't know how I would react, but I've never been in a place where I felt like, whoa, you went like, you said something that I found completely offensive. Yue, you've gotten stuff though before, right? Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, what is the line though? What is yeah. the line? I get really offended quite easily when it comes mm. to stuff like that. But maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. But my boyfriend, he told me that for a while when he was dating, there would be non-Asian women who put anime and K-pop in, mm. in their profiles and they loved him because he's Asian and he loved it. He was like, this is great. Mm. I'm getting all this attention. To me, I would have been so offended by that <laughs> yeah, if someone had yeah. K-pop and anime in their profile and all of a sudden they think I'm the right fit for them. Yeah. So what is the line? You know, And I also have girlfriends who just came to the US from China mm. and they love that too. They, they see it as cultural appreciation. And right, right. I don't I get really offended. So what do you think is the line there? That is a great observation. And this, <laughs> this is something that I had a lot of trouble with because I think growing up mostly in like a Caucasian neighborhood, I mean, there were other ethnicities, but for the most part, like it was more predominantly Caucasian. And it being around the 90s, I feel like people looked at race and culture in a way where it's like, we're all the same. Like no one's mm -hmm. lesser, you know, and sometimes like that makes it even harder for you to realize like to accept and be able to celebrate how you're different. That's why whenever I, when I then like went to college and then in working environment, met other women, Asian women who had maybe grown up in other environments where they were more subjected to like direct racism, that they would react more on the defense. So if someone comes to you and is, and is what I might look at as appreciation, someone else is like, whoa, you're trying to like stereotype me and you're limiting mm -hmm. and boxing me in into this just mm -hmm. one thing. I think it comes down to the individual person at that point. If that person is offended, 
offended, that is what determines the line. Mm. I feel like it's the person that the person that is offended is who determines the line, you know. And and I think it's different for for every person. Julie, I'm curious how you would feel if a non-Jewish man mm-hmm. had all these Jewish interests in their profile and they approached you and told you how much they love Jewish women, how would that make you feel? You know, I had an ex-boyfriend that like dated mostly Jewish women. That's right. A non-Jewish guy. It actually didn't bother me because I'm like, oh, I'm like his type. But Mm -hmm. I get like why that would be different for different people. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's like less Jewish people in San Francisco. It doesn't seem like there's many. (laughs) Well, I guess it's kind of like why he like, why would he pursue Jewish women, right? Is it if his answer was like, oh, it's because I noticed that they tend to share this value and I also have this value. And I think if someone approached me like that, like they were not Asian and they're like, oh, I have dated more women of you know Asian ethnicity in the past because I find they generally have this quality or they generally value this. And then from the way that I was raised, I also value these things. Right. I think that's different than if they're like, ooh, yeah, like, you know, like, you know, do you eat with chopsticks or like, you know, yeah. or, like, <laughs> or, or things where it's like, I don't know, more, more like where it feels like you're looking at me, like you have a preconceived notion of who I am based off of like, other ideas. I think a big piece of it too is on dating apps, for instance, you don't know this person at all. So you're just taking superficial things or, you know, you're taking things from a culture and making a lot of assumptions. So in the scenario I gave, it was not from a dating app. I think Mm. if someone hit me up on a dating app and was like, I love bagels, I don't know. I'm just like making (laughs) things up. Like (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. It's hard to say. It, It feels different to me for some reason, yet I know it's not. And I don't know why it feels different to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels more personal when it's not on a dating app, right? Like they're saying this to you specifically, not to like every Jewish girl out there. Yeah, I think the like the religion piece to race feels different to me too mm. for some reason. I think it's because I'm not really practicing as a Jewish person either, where I feel like maybe it's more of like a decision I made where race is like, this is who I am. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess like from your more serious relationships, like what did the makeup of those people look like? Were they also Asian or did you kind of date across the board there too? I would say most the more serious relationships were Asian American. So, okay. the, and that was the thing that I realized too is like, especially now with the dating apps where I'm able to connect with so many different types of people, someone who's Asian but from Asia, um, or even one of the guys I dated more seriously just was. Uh, raised abroad. So mm-hmm. he um, he came over to the US, I think for college or whatnot, but he like grew up internationally. Just that alone, I could see that that was, we had less in common than someone who is, you know, of Asian ethnicity, but raised in America. Mm-hmm. Like in that respect, sometimes I shared more commonality with one of the guys I dated who was Indian American because mm-hmm. he has Indian cultural, his parents are ethnically Indian. And then he was raised in kind of the more similar community that I was in terms of his like Americanness. Right. Got it. And was race ever a problem in a relationship for it to get more serious? Mm. Did that ever become an obstacle? And I'm asking this because from personal experience, I felt like dating, I could date so many different kinds of people and so many different kinds of people will want to date me. But when it comes down to settling and getting married, my pool was much smaller. Mm. Your pool meaning that you preferred. I guess who who would also want to marry me? I mean, I've dated so many guys who are like, you're my first Asian girlfriend. And then when it comes down to, oh, should we get married? They're like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, I don't. 
I can't <laughs> oh, see wow. this. It was like more a novel for them. Yes. Like a novel. Like dating wise, yeah. I can sample the buffet. Oh, but if I only can take one dish home, oh no, that's oh, not the dish I'm taking home. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever had like a conversation with someone I dated who is non-Asian about like, could you see me as your wife? Maybe it's just that it never got quite like that serious with someone who mm-hmm. was who was non-Asian. I mean, I had like kind of like semi-serious relationships with um with guys who are non-Asian. And it was never communicated to me that it would be a problem. Um and mm-hmm. the guy who was Indian American, he had actually his previous girlfriend was Filipino American. So I think that his parents already were accustomed to their son maybe bringing home someone who was like Asian American, but maybe not the type of Asian that they are. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Well, 2020 was certainly, I yes. feel like, the year. <laughs> it's interesting because you brought up BLM UA, but I think mm-hmm. also just, you know, with the pandemic and it being labeled the China virus and all the hate crimes that came from the pandemic that were across the board. Mm -hmm. How did this impact your dating life? Like, did you see a difference when the pandemic hit? Yeah. I, you know, one thing that was kind of interesting is not directly in 2020, but I think more in 2021, I started to realize that I think I'm connecting with less white guys. And it Mm. might, might be, I mean, yes, I was saying maybe I'm swiping. I still continue to swipe on, I think, pretty open, like uh, culturally, but I was not like meaning they were not swiping right on me as often. And I wonder Mm. if some of that comes as a result of all of the stuff socially and politically that was happening. Like, are they turned off by Asian women now? Or so I I was like, either you either you now associate me with the virus or something like that and you're not attracted. Or are you like, I'm afraid to like to provoke her in any way or something Mm -hmm. like that. That was something that Mm. kind of crossed my mind recently. And that's something I kind of wondered too when this whole thing went down. I was like, well, if I were dating now, would it be totally different? Mm -hmm. Did you see anybody putting anything in their profiles that had to do with Asian hate? I I saw people call call it out more as a like I support this and mm-hmm. if, and because they don't they were like look this is where I stand politically and socially and I don't really want to connect with someone who doesn't and usually I saw on the side of pro like as an ally so mm-hmm. it's um you know people that were like saying I'm pro BLM and I'm pro anti-Asian hate and they were clearly not Asian or, or not black just to be like this is where I stand politically um and I don't want to connect with someone who maybe doesn't yeah so then okay I want to just bring up these statistics because I think I think we can't forget this right yeah. the F- FBI reported a 77% increase in Asian hate crimes from 2019 to 2020. Between March of 2020 and June of 2021, more than 9,000 anti-Asian hate incidents were self-reported to the Stop AAPI hate group. And the vast majority of Asian Americans, 82%, agree that as a group, we feel that we face discrimination as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So why I want to bring this up, because we can't forget this. And most mainstream media is not reporting on this anymore. They think it's something that's not happening anymore, but it is still happening. So with all of that in mind, do you think that your experience dating is changing as a result of this? Or do you think it's kind of like it'll just go back to normal? normal once this whole thing blows over. I think it's I think it's definitely changing. It's evolving and I think it's going to be a, a slow and long change. I guess how I would reword that is maybe in 2020 and 2021 I could see how more directly it's like a more chaotic shift up just because people are like really in it. But I think that any anything that happened like it did for us as a as a world, as a nation, as you know, as humankind in the last couple of years like that's going to have long-lasting impacts. And I think that there will be a lot of like residual like once again like I said it could be something 
something as as undertone as someone swiping left on my profile because now they see Asian mm-hmm. and they just subconsciously are like, no, 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 you know, right? right. Um, and, and that's really hard to quantify, but it's like yes. a feeling you have a little. Yes, yeah. yeah, and 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 also it's like when you go. I mean, it's been hard because uh, I'm still like I haven't resumed my natural like social activities post COVID <laughs> where I'm like going out a bunch, but mm. I would also feel like now if I'm going out to bars and if I'm going out to clubs and stuff, there might also be a, just maybe a different way that people will be around me, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it is out of their own personal fear or out of a desire to not offend or something like that. It's And it's hard to say from that, like how, yeah, once again, I I feel like it's going to be very undertone and subconscious and with really very real effects. Have you gotten like any blatant remarks or has it been more of this unconscious? It's all kind of, I think, as an undertone. I I'm trying to recall like if there's any um I don't feel like I've had encountered any like direct hatred put on to me personally but I mean I watch the news and or even just social anything that you see and I know yeah. it's happening all around. I don't know if it's just my own psyche but I know for a while when it first started within 2020 me just going out to the grocery store to, sometimes I just felt like I'm very clearly an Asian woman yeah. mm. to feel someone looking at me a certain way or or them maybe stepping to the side and avoiding I'm kind of like is this something you would do regularly or you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like are you, why are you like walking extra far from me than someone else yeah and once again those are things that not any action that's done that's like blatant or insulting but is it could be picked up that way. Yeah, because now we do live in an environment where you can easily offend someone. So I think a lot of people have this mentality of, I'd rather just avoid it and not say anything as opposed to getting myself in trouble. Yes. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at check out. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm 
often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I'm clearly not an Asian woman, so I'll you're just not. Say this. <laughs> you have more Asian sorry, friends than yeah, I do, I so you basically are. <laughs> that is not. Well, that's I guess what I was gonna say. I feel like a pivotal <laughs> moment for me, and again, I'm not an Asian woman, so I want to caveat and say that was the shootings in Atlanta, oh, yeah. mm. because I feel like that moment there were a couple things. I think one was that a white man could just go in and have a bad day and be upset mm-hmm. and shoot a bunch of people that are working essentially in, you know, more of, it was in the spa. So it was like a more sexualized industry. And I feel like it said a few things is like, one, the way that we looked at race historically was very black and white. And I feel like there was a lot of undercurrent that was missing from the conversation. And I remember talking to some of my friends and being like, why do you think that's the case? Like, why do you think like this isn't as vocal? And I remember one of them saying, that, you know, it's like Asians are considered the model minority. And it's almost like, oh, we're going to feel bad because you have a lot of money or like, oh, you're going to feel bad because you're highly educated. Mm -hmm. And I think it under like the undercurrent is that it, you know, essentially like pushes away all the bad stuff that's happening. It can't justify that. So I think that was one part that was super interesting. But then the other side was the sexualization. And I remember like I had this guy friend that was horrible in retrospect. We are not friends anymore. Oh, I know this guy. (laughs) I remember him just being like, oh, Asian girls are so hot. They're so bendy, like saying really gross stuff. And but as like a white woman, you're just like, oh, like white men like Asian women. Like that was Mm. kind of 
of like the scenario. And it took me, I think one, having a lot of Asian women friends, but then also that the shooting to be like, no, we do not want to be seen in this way at all. Like this is not a compliment whatsoever. Like what are your thoughts about Mm. this overarching sexualization and also just like the model minority and maybe not getting like the same I don't know, empathy is maybe the right word. Yeah, the model minority myth is definitely one that I feel like personally I've had, I've done a lot more internal thinking about um, because of the last couple of years and just overall more conversations with people. And I will be completely honest and say that when I was younger and in the corporate environment, sometimes I felt like I would reap the benefits of that stereotype, right? Mm. Because being hardworking, being smart, like those are all things that work to your benefit if someone just assumes that about you. But it's later now, and especially with the social and political climate in the last years, I see how incredibly damaging that way of thinking is. And with things like the shooting that you see, obviously, these are women that don't necessarily look like the the Asian people that people portray on TV. Are they working in tech? Are they, you know, like, mm, right. it's in some respects, like, I always feel like when things go to shit, and it's really bad, there will hopefully, it means that they're like the current system is being shaken up, and there will be new ways of thinking evolving. My hope is that us talking about the model minority and it becoming a more widely known concept will mean that people will start to understand that it's it is a that it is just that it's a concept that isn't quite like uh in match with what is happening in reality Mm -hmm. when it comes to like the sexualization of women i have an issue with sexualization of women period you know Mm -hmm. um regardless of their uh ethnicity so i think i always came to it from that perspective being someone who'd never who i can't say never because i don't but who very rarely encountered being sexualized for my for my ethnicity I just I always the small things of like walking down the street and have being whistled to or having someone call out to you I feel like those are experiences that every woman can relate to mm-hmm. and I always like cringed whenever that happened mm-hmm. um so but to see on the news something like this happen to see faces that look like it's one thing for it to be you know a woman that looks like you but I think what really was challenging for me was like, I'm like, these are people that look like people I care about, like my Mm. aunts and my mom and my Mm. sister, you know, or to see them reflected in such a way that was so compromising that makes you vulnerable, not only based off of your ethnicity, but also your like gender identity. That was like, I think just another level of of just, I don't even have the words for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But just, you just feel like, yeah. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to relate this back to dating because there is a relationship there and just follow me for a sec here. (laughs) I think this is the, the problem with dating as an Asian American in America is that our narrative is not ours. People are mm-hmm. taking our narrative. And when you have this stereotype of a model minority, people assume you're all this one narrative, right? Yeah. So this is why I have a problem with people saying, I love Asian girls. I love mm-hmm. you know the Asian culture because you don't know me. You don't know my story, but you all of a sudden you think you know me and you're taking that away from me. And with a model minority, same thing. You know, Asians in America have the highest discrepancy in terms of wealth, but people don't understand that. They think they think all Asians are rich. They think all Asians are educated. That is so not the case. And my favorite story is when Constance Wu came out with this tweet about how much she she hated doing fresh off the boat. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's complaining. She has such a great job. She's, you know, doing her dream work. And there was an article that came out and said, you know, because the bitch Asian 
is not a story that people have told yet. There are many stories of the Asian American woman or the Asian American man. We just haven't heard all those stories yet. So that is my issue with what this is, what we're saying here with dating is that Mm. just because you look a certain way doesn't mean that someone knows you right away. They don't know your story. They haven't gotten to know you yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very well put. And I think that that probably is one of the single most damaging aspects of the model minority myth is is just Mm -hmm. a stripping away of the individualism of Asian American people and, and really just applying this overall like hey, this is who you are without just offering you the mic, I guess you could say. Right, right. Yeah. And Yue, you might be able to go into this more, but we actually did an episode where I interviewed Yue and she interviewed me, two separate episodes. And we polled our audience to get questions. And one person wrote in about what's it like to date as an Asian woman. And Yue, you said something like that has stuck with me so much. And I'll let you elaborate on it because I'd love to know, Janet, if you've ever felt this way too of feeling like I should date white men because I'm almost like winning in the game mm. by doing that. Like it's it's seen as success by doing that. Yeah. And I'll elaborate this on, on this a little bit more. And I'm frankly really embarrassed by some of the things I've said in my early 20s. I wrote a blog post about how I do not date Asian men. And it was a whole thing about why I think Asian men look like my cousins. I don't want to date someone who looks like me. Uh, they're too similar to me. And I got so much hate for it. And I didn't understand why at that time. And I, I realized I carried all this self-hatred with me throughout the years. And I, I never unraveled it until recently. And and, you know, as part of my thinking was my parents came all the way from China. Why would I want to date a Chinese man or an Asian man if they brought me all the way to America? So obviously they brought me here to elevate my status by being with a white man. That's kind of and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not the only Asian woman who's thought about this. Right, right. But of course, in recent years, all this has changed. My current partner is Taiwanese American, very much embraced my culture, but I had so many years to unravel in in the a very short amount of time the last few years to think about this. What do you think, Janet? Oh my God, that must have been a crazy experience because crazy. I know you're you're not alone in in that way of thinking and then to have to ha- to have to break open that whole like understanding of oh my god I have like self-cultural uh biases you know yes. <laughs> to have all of that happen while you're also made to feel like a victim and vulnerable during the last two years is a lot to endure and I, I think a lot of people have had a similar experience that you had and I I can say like I definitely went through my personal journey as well I think because I started doing Asian boss girl in like 2017 I kind of started on the journey then mm. Like I said, growing up in Orange County, California, and in the specific community that I was in, we were all raised to believe that everyone is equal, no one's better or worse, right? But yes, you have Uh these undertones of this idea that if I am not the majority and my family came here and I am an othered person, isn't Mm -hmm. the goal to become normalized? And if the normal person looks white, shouldn't I be aiming for that, right? Right. Um, And once again, these are things that are not said out loud. It is all based on nuances of actions and small beliefs that are expressed through conversations at the dinner table that you just develop a natural propensity for a white person. And I had to kind of go through my own thinking because I was always like, you know, I'm just open to all ethnicities and all races and I'm not like against any. um, (laughs) But I had to confront like, I do have an idea in my mind that a white man is superior. Did Mm. I, I, did I, my personal dating experience think that 
like a white person was going to be better than an Asian person. Not necessarily, but I definitely had this under this like thinking that they are of higher social status, right? Because of mm-hmm. just the way that the society that I was raised in. But I think because I started, um, you know, doing the podcast with Mel and Helen, and also then being around a lot of Asian American friends who had such different experiences than myself, I started developing or being exposed to many different ways of thinking before mm-hmm. that. And also, I met a lot of a lot more Asian guys. Yes. A lot of my issue was that I didn't grow up with a lot of Asian guys. Yes, exactly. So it's your environment. It's very much your environment. And so for me now, I feel like because of, of the community I'm in, uh, my social circle, the work that I do, I just am exposed to a lot more Asian men. And so I just obviously then it's like the the you know percentage of people that I'm attracted to then who are Asian, it's like just higher. And mm-hmm. um and I think also being being someone who is looking for a more permanent life partner, I'm now more focused on those things of like, can you relate to my family and my culture? And right. then especially after the last two years, and I will say like my dad is more of like kind of a rational person and he's like, yeah, you know, shit is happening in the world, whatever, you do as much as you can. My mom really responded with a lot of fear um, really? what was happening and a lot of concern. And she just is so like, I think in that respect too, for me, the idea of being able to bring home someone that feels that they understand the, the struggle, yes. or familiar, it would be just that much more familiar for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yes. what I wanted to ask you because we actually did this episode that we talked about trends and one of them was that dating apps would no longer have race filters because, you know, Mm. after BLM and other aspects in 2020, there was this push to be like, we shouldn't be, you know, filtering by race and be more open. But we got a listener email that said, and she was a black woman, and she said, actually, I do want filters because Mm -hmm. I don't want to go through all these people that don't understand where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. in my background. What's your take on using filters? Should apps have filters? Like, how do you use this? Yeah, this is a great question because I Mm -hmm. think that that this really shows kind of the, A, it's like the rise in technology changing dating so that you can access so many people. Mm -hmm. But then now with the social political climate, it's like, wait, so how much power of filtering do you give people? What becomes offensive and what becomes like um, a a more custom experience? And I personally have actually, have I? I actually have. Actually, I did use, um, I did use filters and I think. I think it was very much to what she said was I wanted to focus in on the individuals that I felt like I would be able to relate more to. The thing with dating apps is it's catering to someone's very personal experience and their personal life. The the dating app I don't think is a place for people. Well, maybe it's different from the perspective of the, the app itself, but as a user of the app and trying to find my life partner, I think I have a right to to not give everyone an equal chance because this is right. my life. If this is if we're talking about a government issue, you know, like or a service <laughs> that I'm offering then I should be open to everyone. But this is not a government service. This is me teasing <laughs> myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in that respect, I feel like there is like giving people access to that filter is a good thing. Yeah, it's That's, so fascinating because yeah. I think we just, like kind of had this feeling of like, oh, it's not giving people an equal opportunity because we've heard mm-hmm. from a lot of folks that there's a lot of discrimination on dating apps and all of that. But it was really fascinating to hear the opposite side. And I totally agree with you. It's like you're on this hunt to find something someone that's going to like mesh with your life and be a good fit for you like why not have this tool yeah and to be honest it's like if you you were to not provide that people are going to filter anyways based on the images they see 
Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's like the right thing to say or not, but I think that that's just, and also from someone who would have been filtered out by someone else, do I really want to be connecting with someone who would not want, you know? Right. You don't want to be like matching and messaging this person that has no attention to ever Yeah. I have this wild theory that coming out of the pandemic, there will be less interracial dating. The two groups that engage in the most interracial dating are Asian women and Black men. And because of BLM and because of the Asian Mm. hate crimes, these are the two groups that are really uh, turning to their own uh, mm-hmm. their own communities for yeah. support, and they're really bonding together. So I've heard multiple Asian women who are saying, I only want to date Asian men now. I want to support my Asian mm-hmm. community and Black men as well who are saying, I, I want to be with someone where I don't have to explain yeah. where I come from and yeah. what I've been through. And I personally have felt this too. I mean, I remember when the Asian hate crimes were happening, my boss held a meeting and said, my neighbor is Japanese. So I totally understand the Asian <laughs> challenges that you are all, oh you all are facing. And I was like, oh, hell no. I could never date someone where I have to sit through them explaining to me what I've been through. Fuck that. So that's yeah, my wild theory. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I can kind of see this happening. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting theory. And I would I would agree. I think that makes complete sense that when we're going through after, you know, like the last two years or so, it's going to it's going to really reframe the way people think about dating and, and looking for like a partner because I feel like the trend before that was really you know I was thinking I'm like in the next couple of years even just thinking about me and my sister and our generation of of like people there's going to be a lot of just pe- like people with mixed cultures like yeah. generations to come and I wonder yeah how this big event in history now will potentially shift some of that I mean I definitely am all for obviously people being with who makes them comfortable and who there's a common bond I don't know I do think there is maybe there was a little bit of a step forward of dating apps opening up more interracial dating because I I don't know I come from I'm like from Boston originally and it was very segregated there like every mm. area is very segregated and I don't know if that's the solution either like I'm just saying this as someone Mm-mm. you know that has a lot of Asian friends or just interracial friends I have a lot of friends of all races not just Asian Americans but I personally like that that like, you know, I have that diversity. So I don't know. It's like, it's a tough situation because obviously I'm not going to speak as a white woman too. Like, I don't know the pain of being with someone that understands culturally that aspect. But I do, I do worry that like, if we get super segregated again too. I, mm-hmm. I completely agree. I feel like I've always been on the side of wanting to feel like I can relate to any human being um, mm-hmm. or that I, I want the opportunity to. I think it's – I don't know that there is like a perfect solution. And right. it might just be that over the course of history, it's like sometimes you'll have periods where people are yeah. like very, very welcoming and mixing together. And then you'll have instances happen where we'll silo off. And then sometime a few a couple generations down when these experiences have dissipated, then there will be more like commingling and then there will be a little bit more. Or, right. you know, it might just be that that is that is kind of the way. But I do think that for our current time, it does then require that we as individuals do make more of an active effort to connect with other people of different cultures. Yeah. yeah. I do think the correction, I, I like that. Like, it's not a good situation either when we have just yeah. people that are out there dating people for a fetish. Like, that is yeah. certainly not a step forward whatsoever. And I'm, I'm not saying that all interracial couples are in that boat whatsoever. But I do know there are some people that come to mind that old friend that I can think of felt borderline fetish definitely not 
I kind of think the problem is because it's existing within the U.S. That's what's mm. not uniting us. We're segregating ourselves within one entity. If there was a adver- adversity against the U.S., I think it would be a different story. I think there true. would be a lot more of that us as a team mentality. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's so much me versus you. I can't even yeah. express how much tension I feel every day between races, between classes, between all kinds of people. And it, you feel like every day now, I just feel like I can offend, e- easily offend anybody. I'm walking mm-hmm. on eggshells. I just don't know any of the right things to say. And it's hard for me to, you know, it's hard for me to get out of my own race because within my own race, I don't have to explain anything. Right, yeah. right. Did you, you have any conversations with like then like non-Asian friends, like close friends in the past like couple of years? And do you feel like your relationship with them changed because of Yeah. I think Julie and I had some really deep conversations when this was happening. And we had kind of kind of like a let's peel back the layers and talk about what is happening and why we're feeling this way. And it's been really great for our friendship. I'm not going to speak for you, Julie, but I feel like it's brought us closer because even when we are not recording, we would have these moments of like, I can't believe I used to think that way. Yeah. I used I can't believe you know, I can't believe that I had these thoughts before. I remember you invited me to an event. I think I might have been like the only white person. There. Yeah. <laughs> But I do think like, I I really like, first of all, it was good for my own education. But I think it was in a perfect world, I would have been seeking that out on my own. I wish like I was more proactive on that in retrospect. But in a second perfect world, I'm glad that I had a friend that was able to share that and I was able to make the time to go to it. Because I think it is important to understand like where your friends are with things that are going on. I never want to be like the white person that makes some comment like, oh, I totally relate because like my Japanese friend like that's horrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah what about you Janet yeah I think um I have actually a lot of close friends from high school who are like Indian and Pakistani Mm. American and so what was interesting is like they can relate once I explain to them right but Mm. like when the act like for example the shootings that happened for any other person when I text my sister when I text my friends who are Asian I know that they're like emotionally sensitive right now when I talk I like g-chatted my Indian American friend and she's like hey what's up like did you see the things that happened she's like yeah you know I was like oh let me explain like you know that this is causing a lot of like um, internal vulnerability for for mm-hmm. myself or for uh, for my friends and and once you explain it that way they're like oh yes okay I totally I totally get it right because they they have an understanding of that sense of vulnerability a little bit um, mm. and it just needs to be addressed and let them know versus someone who just has no idea what it might feel like to have any um, any type of experience like that um, and also my friend who is Pakistani like obviously when 9-11 happened I think she had her own personal experience of something like yeah. this that she could relate yes. to I definitely think that this last two years has created a stronger bond with me and people of like Asia American bringing, but also in any of my friends who are just like, I guess, children of immigrants, it's also been like a really good, I guess, opportunity to have conversations. Yeah, the conversations are real. And I want to ask you, Janet, because on your podcast, you're very open about the fact that you want to have kids and you've been thinking about freezing your eggs and Julie just did. So if you ever need someone to talk to, you got Julie here. (laughs) (laughs) But have you thought about if you were to raise your kids in today's environment and they're just starting to date? How would you advise them to date in today's climate? I feel like I am still probably like my parents' children. And what I mean by that is my parents were always very like, want to be open and learn things for yourself and 
um, always try to understand other people's perspective. So I think I would take that that stance, but on the caveat that to help make sure that they're educated in the realities of how race affects dating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that my mom very much did. Like when we always growing up, she's always made it, she made sure that my sister and I understood that we were Chinese American. Like we mm-hmm. are not like everyone else in the community because we have a different ethnic background. But when it comes to any other, like who we choose as a partner and all, she's like, I want you to figure it out yourself and be open because I was raised mm-hmm. a certain way and I grew up in a certain world. That's not the world that you're growing up in. So you mm-hmm. need to be educated educated and informed so you're not not you know d- go out there and don't be defenseless <laughs> in how people might judge you or but at the same time like I, I very much like promote you going out there and developing your own opinion about things I love that this has been such a great conversation I personally love hearing conversations like this because I think the more we can have conversations that I mean obviously for all our Asian listeners I think it's super helpful just to hear someone else's perspective but for all our non-Asian listeners it's really important. Like, I know that this is something that during like the pandemic and Asian hate crimes in my white circles, it just wasn't as talked about as mm-hmm. Asian circles. So, hopefully, my biggest takeaway here is opening this conversation can help us continue to open these conversations and pave way for us to continue to unravel. And I think that's like what really stands t- to mind here is that just from listening to both of you too, this last couple years has been a really important time of reflection to look at past beliefs, to look at like how you actually feel. Mm-hmm. And also for people that aren't, you know, Asian to also reflect back too. it's important where we're going in the future. And, you know, if you are entering an interracial relationship or you have friends of different ethnicities, this is so important to keep these conversations going. Absolutely. I love that we're having this conversation and I'm sad we didn't have it sooner because we could have used this before the Asian hate crimes uh, even started. (laughs) Um, But what I find so interesting is that when it comes to dating, people always think other people have it better. They have Mm -hmm. it easier. And I've heard this from friends where they say, I think Asian women have it the easiest when it comes to dating. You're the neutral race. You can mix well with anybody (laughs) and anybody will want to be with you. I think we don't understand that, again, we can't take other people's narratives. You don't know their story. And just because there are certain look or gender or race doesn't mean that they've lived that story you've played out in your head. And guess what? When it comes to dating, nobody has it easier because nobody has their shit figured out. (laughs) You know, that's for sure. Because we've been doing this podcast for almost seven years. We know nobody has a shit shit figured out and no one race has it easier than the other. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's all about human connection. And if we could just look at dating as not dating this one particular type of person, but you're connecting with another human being, no matter what they look like or what their background is, you find connection there. That's special. It has yeah. nothing to do with the superficial qualities of who they are. It's the connection. And I feel like we're losing that connection a little bit these days, mm-hmm. um, especially with COVID, with us not seeing each other in real life, it's been hard to find that connection back. And in a virtual world, it's so easy to fake that connection. It's so easy to filter that connection, but you don't actually get that connection until you're with someone in real life. So I would just highly recommend everyone to meet up with more people in real life. Mm -hmm. Safely, please don't get COVID like Julie (laughs) and I did. 
Um, <laughs> but feel that connection again. We are we are one. We just look mm-hmm. different, but we are yeah. one. And I hope we can get back to that someday. Yeah. Assumptions are just so dangerous. And I think that's like with dating apps too. It's like you just don't know enough about this person. Yep. And we fill in the blanks a lot of times. And I feel like the more we can stop making generalizations on someone's profile and just go to having a conversation, that's when you'll get the connection. You'll still use technology, but use it in the way that it's an introduction, not that you're figuring out someone's life story just by looking at their photo. Yes. Yes. And Janet, (laughs) we have lots of um, single people listening to our podcast. (laughs) And I know that you are single, ready to mingle. And I know you faced some heartbreaks last year, but you're doing a reset this year, which is fantastic. I am. Uh, And also, you've said that you like being introduced to friends friends. So uh, (laughs) we're going to take this moment and just give a shout out to Janet, who is uh, a wonderful woman. Now, what are some of the qualities you're looking for in a person? Oh, that's very sweet, ladies. Thank you for allowing me this platform. (laughs) (laughs) Our Um, very nearest, dearest friends of friends, all the listeners out there. (laughs) Um, I think probably the number one thing I look for in an individual is like character, character and compassion. And outside of that, one of the biggest lessons I've learned these last few years is that I don't know that it makes sense to have a list um, or to yes. have a type. Yeah. Um, when we talk about that, having that connection with the person probably is going to correlate a little bit with our ethnicity or our whatever. But for the most part, I've learned that like, yeah, like you can really connect with some people that you didn't think you could and people that you thought you would connect with, you don't. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, yeah, if there's one thing I would look for though, I do, I do look for a character and compassion. But outside of that, like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm pretty, I guess also chemistry. And that's like, that's yeah. something that's hard to break down. That that you kind of only figure that out when you meet each other. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I remember hearing somewhere, I can't remember where, when someone asks you like what your type is, you're just like, I'm looking for someone wonderful. That's what I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Someone wonderful. Okay. So we're looking for someone wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully someone who lives in LA, but you know, we can make long distance work for the right person. We can make we can make that work. And Janet, for anybody who's listening right now who is sort of going through their own internal transformation when it comes to mm-hmm. race and understanding their roots and understanding their past in relation to dating and finding a partner, what is some advice you give to them as they go through with this, this journey? Yeah, I think being able to have conversations with the people close to you, people who know you deeply, and whether that's someone who shares your ethnicity and culture or someone who doesn't. Maybe it's not, maybe if you also not a person through conversation, journal about it. But I always find that when you're experiencing a lot of shift or change, being able to have to articulate it helps you formulate your opinion and your conclusions on things. Wonderful. Cool. And Janet, if people want to find out more about you and the Asian Boss Girl podcast, where can they find all that information? Yes. Asian Boss Girl, uh, we are on all the podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to your pods. And we're also on Instagram. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl. We also have a YouTube channel. As for myself personally, I'm on Instagram at Janet W. That's Janet and then the word double and the letter U. It's a little confusing, but... (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you, UA and Julie, for having me. This was 
an incredible conversation. I don't get to talk to too many people about dating nowadays um, outside of like Mel and Helen. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> now you have two more women to talk about it yeah. with. <laughs> and for all of our listeners, uh, you know, what we appreciate is a review in Apple Podcasts. Five stars is like the way to be. And coming from Asian household, like five stars is the minimum you can get. So <laughs> anything below that is failure. So please, five stars. Don't do that. Don't do, <laughs> don't do that. You don't want to fail us. And we really appreciate your support um, listening to us. And it helps us get great guests like Janet here. Okay, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Mm -hmm.